0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Gathering of Harmony Bible Church, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord worshiping Him this morning. I just want to note one thing before we begin with a word of prayer. I just um, You may have noticed these in your bulletin, these are from the International Mission Board and... For those of you who don't know, Harmony is a um, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're a Southern Baptist church, and with that we support the International Mission Board. So if you uh, could just pray about how you might give to support them, that would be great. The money goes to support missions, and you can read a little bit more about it. There's also an opportunity to pray. Um, uh, Just uh, join with others in the nation who will be praying starting November 29th, which is next week. So I'd encourage you to just look that over to pray about that, and um, obviously, missions should be near and dear to our heart, especially as we think about uh, just our call to be part of the church that goes out and shares the gospel with the world around us. So, again, good morning. Let's uh, open this morning with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us this morning. Thank You for the grace that You are bestowing on us now and the grace that You will continue to bestow on us throughout this service. God, we praise You for Your promises that when we gather, You are here in our midst. We praise You for the promise that You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, I pray and ask that You'd be with us as we look to Your Word, that You'd grow us and change us By it, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. I pray the same thing for them. God, I just pray your blessing upon this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. And actually, we're going to jump right into the Word this morning, so if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is faithful, through whom you are called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm sure you'll remember last week, as we read in Acts 18, how the church in Corinth began. We're beginning our our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is our second week. So we'll probably be here another 18 or 19 years. Um, so we're kind of we're we're tr- going to trudge through the book of 1 Corinthians. And last week, you remember, we read from uh, Acts 18 how the church in Corinth began. Remember, Paul visited Corinth and he proclaimed the gospel, and many people, even some Jewish leaders, became followers of Jesus. And even though he stayed there for about a year and a half and ministered to them personally, by the time this letter was written, one could say that the church in Corinth was a bit of a mess. That that there was things going on in Corinth that needed to be addressed, that there was division, that there was greed and sexual immorality. There were all kinds of things that needed to be dealt with in the church in Corinth. And Paul, he could have started this letter any number of ways. But what he chose to begin with, what God laid on his heart, what God spoke through him was that which would lay a foundation for the instructions that lie ahead. He chose to remind them of the joys and benefits of salvation. A church that is really in in a a, a huge mess, that is struggling in many ways, instead of getting on them immediately, he, he decides to point them to the joys and benefits of salvation. You see, he chose to remind them who they were in Christ. So as we started 1 Corinthians last week, we began with the first of two messages called called and confirmed in Christ. And last week we saw the call of God in the lives of believers. We saw that God calls people to Himself. That He calls them into a saving relationship with Him. That God calls people to newness of life. That He makes them holy. And that God calls people into a new family. The body of Christ. The body of Christ that will cause them to grow. So last week, having seen the call of God in the lives of believers, this week we want to look at the confirmation or the proof of the grace of God in the lives of believers. So we saw the call. Today we look at the confirmed, the confirmation or proof of the grace of God in those who know Jesus. So let's look at verses 4-8 Four through eight again with me verses four through eight says this I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I want you to notice three things from this section. I want you to notice three things. Number one, He saved us. He saved us. I want you to notice the past grace, the grace that has taken place in salvation. Or in other words, I want you to notice that He has confirmed Those who are His. He's proven those who are His. Paul begins this section by saying, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. You see, whenever he thinks about the church in Corinth, he can't help but be reminded of the way in which God has shown them grace. That God has shown them grace through Jesus Christ. And he's not blind to the problems in the church. Right? It's not that Paul gets up and he says, oh, those Corinthians, they're doing everything right. They're so awesome. It's just I can't think of anything bad to say. Instead, he says, he sees all these things and he's going to address these things. But before he even does so, he says, I know you've been shown grace. I know that God has worked miraculously in your lives. You see the phrase, which was given, and the phrase was confirmed when we read these verses, that which was given and that which was confirmed, they're in the aorist tense in Greek, which, which basically it just indicates an action that is completed at a particular point in time. So it's done. It is finished. It's an action that has been done in the past. In other words, Paul is reminding them that there was a point in time in which they were given grace. He says, you were given grace. And the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. It was proven in you when that happened. Now the testimony concerning Christ that he's referring to is the Gospel. He says, the gospel is confirmed in you. We know this because in um, the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, And I came to you, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So he uses this phrase, the testimony of God, and the testimony of Christ to refer to the gospel. And he says, when this grace was given to you, the gospel... Was confirmed. The good news of Jesus was proven to be true in you. In the same way, we talked earlier about Jesus uh, talking to Nicodemus. We talked during Sunday school, and Jesus says uh, he compares those who receive that grace to the wind. And he he says that you, you may not see where it comes from or where it goes, but you see the effects. Of the wind. That we can stand outside and a windstorm may come through and we can't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. In the same way, Paul is saying that the grace that's been given to you has been proven. The gospel has been proven because I see this in you. That I can see the effects of grace. He goes on and says, the evidence of this confirmation is that in everything, he says, they were enriched in Him. In all speech, in all knowledge. I'm always amazed at Scripture when it uses words like all. Because I can't help but think that it means all right that, that in all speech, in all knowledge, they were enriched. They were made rich in Him, in Jesus. That they were made rich in Jesus in the way they spoke, and in the way they thought. That obviously the gospel had an effect. That just as a windstorm may come through here and blow trees down, and we see the effects of the wind, that the gospel had its effect on these believers. That it changed the way they talked. That it changed the way they thought. See, just like the believers in Colossae, the believers in Corinthians, in, 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 in uh, Corinth, they didn't need some sort of additional religious experience. They didn't need some sort of experience by which they might receive the power of God other than the Gospel. That they had been saved by grace. You see, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And I actually believe that to be true. So I believe that God's divine power has given us all that we need to live a life of godliness. It's not God's divine power plus these other things. It's God's divine power has given us everything we need. You see, they were already at the time of conversion given the ability to act in ways that were honoring to the Lord. You know, I've seen many people in my life who say, Oh, well, you know, I do such and such, or I do this thing, but it's just the way that I am. I can't change. And in some sense, we can't change. We can't change ourselves. That instead of uh, seeking to change when we change, all we do is we end up cleaning the outside of the cup, as Jesus said. That we clean up our lives, we change our actions, but what really needs to change is our heart. The inside needs to change. But see, God in His grace can change from the inside out. That He gives us everything we need to live godly lives. So having seen His past grace, the fact that He saved us, or that He has confirmed those who are His, let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is, He grows us. Not only does He save us, but He grows us. He is confirming those who are His. Paul goes on in verse 7 and he says this. He says, So that you are not lacking in any gift. And the term not lacking, this time, is in the present tense. It's not past tense, it's present tense. You're no longer lacking right now in any gift. And the point is that the believers in Corinth, they were, they were recipients ongoing recipients of God's grace. You see, when you consider the entirety of 1 Corinthians and the fact that this book deals with spiritual gifts, it seems apparent that that's what Paul's talking about here. When he talks about gifts, he's talking about spiritual gifts that they've been given. And scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in the life of every believer to give them at least one spiritual gift. For some of us, it may be teaching, for others' helps, for others' administration. And those gifts, there's a lot of talk about spiritual gifts and how those gifts are manifested and whether we have the same gift as a believer whether God changes those gifts or strengthens those gifts or shifts gifts within us over time. It's really not the point of what I want to talk about here. We'll get to spiritual gifts as we move through 1 Corinthians. But I want to say this. I think we spend so much time thinking about what are my spiritual gifts and not enough time thinking about what am I called to do and how am I called to act. That instead of Scripture, in fact, when you look at the qualifications of elders and deacons, it doesn't say anywhere that they should be able to, be able to have the gift of administration or that they should have the gift of helps. There's reference to teaching. There's reference to they must be hospitable. But it doesn't even say they have to have the gift of teaching or the gift of hospitality. Instead, it says, this is what mature people look like Be mature yourselves and find people in the church who are mature to fill these positions. Mature in Christ. You see, we can get so wrapped up in what are my spiritual gifts that we fail to just step out and serve. And God will give us the gifts that we need to serve Him. So we'll talk as we continue through Corinthians about spiritual gifts. But for now, what I really want to focus on and what I want you to see is that God gives these gifts for the edification, for the building up of His body. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4-7 through 7, he says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things and all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That to each one... He's given these gifts for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, spiritual gifts are evidence of the continued grace of God in the lives of believers. They're spiritual gifts because they are gifts that come from God. And it's easy, it's too easy, I think, to begin to have the mindset that by using our gifts, We're somehow paying God back for what He's done for us. You see, in reality, because such gifts are manifestations of the grace that He's giving us, we're further and further indebted to Him as we use them. That each day, we become further indebted. So I don't want you to hear, you know, I need to use my spiritual gifts. God's gifted me with a gift of hospitality. And I need to open up my home to people because because of what Jesus did for me. And somehow it's it's my honor, my duty, it's my responsibility to pay Jesus back for what He's done for me by using this gift that He gave me. Instead, that if you have the gift of hospitality, or if you have the gift of teaching, or whatever your gift is, that as you use it, you're asking God to continue to bless you. You become further and further indebted to Him. You're not paying Him back. See, it's important that we remember that these gifts, they come by grace. Not because we deserve them, not because we've earned them, but because in His grace, He loves us, He cares for us, and He wants to see His church built up. You see, when Paul says that they're not lacking in any gift... Please don't think that he's saying that every member of the church in Corinth had been given every gift. Some have said that the church in Corinth was more gifted than all the other churches. I don't know as though I would agree with that. That The church in Corinth wasn't, it wasn't that they were more gifted, and that's not what Paul means at all. Instead, what he's saying is that the church collectively were being given all that they needed to build each other up in love. His point is, you have the resources you need. And God's not looking to Corinth and going, oh, I'm going to bless Corinth with some spiritual gifts like you can't imagine. But that church in South Thomaston, I'm going to give them like two gifts, right? Then I'm just going to give them a couple of gifts. Instead, He loves His church. He desires to build His church and grow His church. He wants to see His church serve each other. And therefore, He gives us all That we need to build each other up in love. I love the way John MacArthur expresses this. He says, Unlike the Thessalonian and Philippian churches, the Corinthian church was exceptionally lacking in spiritual maturity and moral purity. That they're lacking in spiritual maturity and purity. But they were not lacking, Paul says, in any spiritual gift. Paul's point is not that they were more gifted, it's that they're not lacking. He goes on and says, they did not have the same spiritual maturity and moral character as believers in those other churches, but they had all of the same resources. See, God loves His church and He gives His church the resources by His grace to build each other up in love. I know as a young Christian, I used to think that somehow we were saved by grace, but that we grew by our own efforts. That we needed to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, so to speak, and grow in Christ. And instead, now I realize that yes, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are called to be active. But as we're active, that it's God's grace that grows us. That He grows us because He loves us. And it's a blessing that comes from Him. You see, before ever correcting them, Paul reminds the Corinthian believers not only of the grace they had received at salvation, but also of the grace they were receiving. He says, Church, you're not lacking in gifts. I'm bestowing grace upon grace upon grace. God says to the church in Corinth, Please, through Paul, please understand you were saved. You were saved by grace. And I'm still gracious to you. I'm still gracious to you. So having seen, number one, that He saves us, that God saves us, that He's confirmed those who are His, and number two, that He grows us, that He is confirming those who are His, let's consider the third point. The third point in our sermon outline is this. That He will carry us through to the end. So He saves us, He grows us, and He's the one who will carry us through to the end. This is often referred to as future grace. And I've used this analogy before. That we stand under a waterfall, right? And we stand in that, this puddle, of this pool of water. There's nothing but grace around us. And grace is coming down on us. We're covered in grace. That's present grace. Past grace is all around us. Present grace is all over us. And we know that more grace is coming that the water continues to flow, that the grace continues to shower down upon us. And the primary reason we know that future grace is coming is because He has promised that He will continue to give it. You see, if it wasn't for His future grace, I'd have a hard time getting up here on any Sunday morning and sharing God's Word. But instead, I can get up here and I can say, I know that You're going to be gracious to us, God, because You've promised. Certain things in Your Word. You've promised You will build Your church. So it's not dependent on Me. You've promised that when we gather, You will be here in our midst. So it's not dependent on Me to usher in the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God is here. He is alive and well. That He has been gracious. He is being gracious. And He's going to continue to be gracious toward those who are His. You see, He'll carry us through to the end. He will confirm Paul says in 1 Corinthians, those who are His. He goes on in verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians to say uh, that they are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm them to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the point is that not only has God shown them grace in the past, not only is He currently showing them grace, but that He's going to continue to do so. And the phrase, awaiting eagerly, comes from uh, the Greek word, apodekomai. Which um, is used seven times in the New Testament. It's The great word, apodekomai, right? So, you can wrap your tongue around that one. It uses it seven times. And it's translated, awaiting eagerly. Romans 8, 19, uh, we see it used. It says, for the anxious longing of the creation, waits eagerly. For the revealing of the sons of God, that creation is groaning, waiting for things to be wrapped up, so to speak, that for human history to be changed when Jesus comes back. In Romans eight twenty three, Paul uses it, uses it again, and he says, and not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And he goes on in verse 25 and says, But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. You see, we're waiting eagerly for Jesus to come back and make things right to fix that which is broken. He also uses it in Galatians 5.5 where he says, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. And Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await Him. And then 1 Peter 3.2, where we see it in a little different context. Those who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which, that is a few, eight persons were brought safely through the water. See, the idea, and what Paul is communicating, when he says, waiting eagerly, what he's communicating is not just idly standing by. You see, it's not just ticking down the days until Jesus comes back. You know, I've heard many Christians say, I just pray that the Lord comes back today. And while there's some sense in which we pray that is true, when we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right. There's also a sense in which we don't just sit and wait. I can't help but think of the disciples when Jesus, uh, during the ascension, and he's like, oh, I'm I'm coming back. And he's told them, I'm going to go up to uh, to heaven. I'm going to be with the Father, and I'm coming back. And he ascends to heaven, and, and the disciples are standing there. And then an angel comes down and he's like, "Um, guys, he's coming back and he's coming back quickly, but like not, you didn't mean like that quickly. All right, scatter, right? Sometimes I think that that's what we do as Christians. We just sit and we idly wait until Jesus comes back. But instead, what's communicated here is a hopeful expectation, a hopeful expectation that motivates one, someone to ready themselves, to be ready. He's coming back. Get ready. He's coming back. And if you know me at all, and you know, you've been to my small group, then you know that I have, I have issues, right? I have issues with cleanliness. And you know that the time before you get to my house, what am I doing? I'm making myself ready. I'm making my house ready, right? Because if there's like a speck of dirt, it's going to drive me crazy. And if you walk in the house, and you track in a little piece of dirt on the floor, And we're going to be sitting around the sofas tonight. We're going to be talking about this text. I'm going to be looking at that dirt. And I'm going to keep looking at it. And I'm going to keep. It's probably going to drive me crazy until I get up and clean it. But before you come, what I'm doing is I'm making myself ready. I'm not just waiting. And in the same way, that's what Paul is talking about here making oneself ready for the return, an eager expectation. He's coming back. So you better get ready. See, it's kind of like a young couple waiting for their wedding day. They don't just sit around and wait for the day to come, right? They take the steps needed, whether it's making financial preparations, whether it's preparing a home, whether it's meeting for premarital counseling, or whatever it is, they make themselves ready for marriage. And in fact, their eagerness for the marriage is often shown in the flurry of activity that comes Leading up to the big day. That their eagerness and their expectation usually results in a flurriness of activity as they get ready. You see, the believers in Corinth are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. Because they're looking forward to the realization of the the grace of the Gospel. That God is going to continue to show them grace, that He is going to make them perfect. That He is going to establish them in righteousness once and for all. In other words, they're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back, when He returns to reign and rule on earth and their salvation has been made complete. You see, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. That's what Scripture teaches. That we're saved from our sin, we're positionally perfect, and that we are being made perfect, that God is stripping away our sin, that He's causing us to grow in Jesus, that if we have been made perfect positionally, we are also being made perfect in our lives and that one day He will take away all sin and we will have glorified bodies. We will be perfected in righteousness and no longer will we be able to sin. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. You see, church in Corinth, to some extent, they understood 2 Timothy 1.12 which says, For I know whom I have believed, And I am convinced that He is able to guard that which I have entrusted to Him until that day. I know whom I've believed, I know the grace I've been given, and I know the grace I'm going to be given. And Paul wants them to know that the proper response to such faith is to live in such a way that they're making themselves ready for Christ's return. See, as I mentioned, Paul is laying a foundation for all of what lies ahead by reminding them of God's past grace God's present grace, and God's future grace. He's encouraging them to know that God is faithful to finish that which He starts. Just as He says in Philippians 1, verses 6-7, through Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, For it is not only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation, the proof of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. You're all partakers of grace. I know that God's going to finish what He started because you're partakers of grace with me. Past grace, present grace, future grace. So now as we finish this section, look at verse 9 with me says this, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a beautiful summary of this entire section. In Greek, the word faithful is emphasized, actually, by putting it first. We can't do that in English quite the same way. We can't change the word order for emphasis in the same way you can in Greek. But Paul literally is saying, faithful is God. That after talking about all these things, talking about past grace, present grace, future grace, that Paul just erupts with praise and says, Faithful is God. You see, Paul is about to share some tough words in this letter. He's about to challenge them to live lives of radical obedience. And by the way, as recipients of this letter, as we work through this letter, He's going to challenge us
1: because we're
0: going to be working through those very same words. And in order to prepare them, in order to lay the foundation for them, He wants them to know that God, the God who has called them into fellowship, is faithful to give them grace. He's going to be faithful to them. He's going to give them grace to live lives worthy of the calling they have received. So having seen that He saved us, that He has given us grace. And number two, that He grows us, that He is giving us grace. And number three, that He'll carry us through to the end, that He will give us grace. The question remains, so how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take all of this and apply it to our lives? Well, number one, We need to remember the grace we've been given. We must remember the Gospel. We must remember how deep in sin we were. How we were spiritually dead, but He made us alive. We must dwell on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we must share what Christ has done for us with others. You see, there's this thought that if we dwell on the finished work of Christ, that Christ has made us positionally perfect, that somehow we won't fight sin. And that is nonsense. That kind of thinking is crazy. The more we think about what Christ has done for us, the more grace He gives us to live for Him today. We need to remember the Gospel. We need to remember how wretched and sinful we were so that we can remember how wretched and sinful we are, but we've been made positionally perfect in Christ. That He's made us right with Him. That when, when God looks at us, He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that He took on your sin. Yes, He took on the sin of the world, but He took on your sin specifically and died in your place. He was raised on that third day, defeating death and sin and suffering. And that by following Him, by repenting of your sin, trusting in Christ and Christ alone, you can be a recipient of that grace. And if you are a recipient of that grace, I encourage you, remember the gospel. Get up every morning and say, praise God for what He has done for me through Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So remember the grace we've been given. And number two, we must remember the grace we are being given. We must remember, lest we think that somehow God gave us grace and now we're no longer in need of grace, that we're paying Him back I was a bad person, but man, look at me now. I'm getting up every morning. I'm going to work. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm putting money in the offering plate. Look at me go. I am paying God back for all He has done for me. Lest we think that, we need to remember it's only by His grace that I get up tomorrow morning and I open my Bible. It's only by His grace that I can come to Him in prayer and say, I love You, Lord, and I want to love You more. Help me to love you more. It's only by His grace that I can preach this message or put any money in the plate or any of that stuff that it's all about His gift of grace in us now. See, His mercies are new every morning. And He's faithful. He's faithful in His work of growing us. So we need to look for areas where we need to grow. And then we need to ask for grace that we might grow. We need to hold each other accountable. And we need to give each other grace in growing, And then we need to use our gifts for the building up of each other in love. That just as He was gracious to us and giving us gifts, we need to use those gifts for the building up of the body. So not only must we remember the grace we've been given and remember the grace we are being given, but thirdly and lastly, we must remember the grace we will be given. We must eagerly await the day of Christ's return. You see, not, not being idle. Not just living our lives and saying, well, if I can just get through today, if I can just get through the next couple of years, or I'm on the downhill slide, right? If I, can just, if I can just get through the rest of my life and Jesus comes back, praise God. But instead, we need to be active. We need to be getting ready. We need to realize that there's a world out there that has no idea that He's coming back. We need to sound the alarm and say, He's coming back. He's returning. so get ready. There's a great song, uh, the Blind Boys of Alabama uh, called "People Get Ready." I just absolutely love. that's what we need to do is not be idle, but instead be getting ready for his return. We must remember though, that he is faithful, that he finishes the work that he starts in us, that he will carry it through to completion by his grace. and praise him for that. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your work in our lives. I thank You for past grace, for present grace, and for future grace. I thank You that not only have You been gracious to us in calling us to Yourself, but You are gracious to us day by day, that You sustain us. And God, I thank You for Your promise that You will continue to be gracious, that You will carry us through to completion, that you will finish the work you have started in us. God, I pray for just an extra measure of grace. God, help us to remember what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.